Okay. Fan is unplugged. <laughs> we are ready to go. My fan is also unplugged. Well, not unplugged, but it is turned off. The fan is off, but our fans mm-hmm. are listening, because welcome back to Detroit Strange. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so glad you could join us today. Welcome to this hot as fuck July day. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be this hot for like a week. I know. I can't believe we're in the 90s for like a week and a half or something straight. Like it doesn't. That doesn't seem normal. Like I know we get to the 90s here. Right. But it feels like usually it's like one or two or three days of the 90s and then it goes back down. And now it's like, nope, this is just life. It definitely makes me pessimistic for the future. I'm like, oh, God, this is only going to get worse. Yeah. But, you know, global warming's not real, so it's okay. Yeah. Neither is coronavirus. Don't wear a mask. You don't have to. Because it's not real. People aren't dying. We're doing great. We're not We're not banned from Europe. No. I know. <laughs> Did you see that? Yes. I'm like, I get it, but like, damn. I wouldn't want us either. <laughs> I totally get it. Yeah. I'm like, after talking to my friend in Australia and learning they had 106 deaths total, I'm like, God, like... I was like, is that like the past hour? Like, what's that death toll from? They're like, no, like total. I'm like, damn, to have an actual response. Yeah, it makes a difference. <laughs> that is insane. Yeah. The thing I can't believe right now is that we are back where we were. It's all coming back. It's all coming back to me now. <laughs> But when we were here before, everybody took it a little more seriously. Yeah. And now they're not. Yeah. And we have solutions like wear a mask. It helps a whole lot when everybody wears a mask. Right. (laughs) Which is like the easiest thing. It is. I kind of like it as like, ooh, fashion, accessory, too. If nothing else, like, it's like, ooh, what mask am I going to pair with this outfit? Like, for this mask, I've got mm-hmm. this nice, like, banana bl- banana shirt, ring, 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 banana shirt. Um, <laughs> it kind of looks like the Velvet Underground banana. It does. Which I don't know anything other than that banana for Velvet Underground. You know who the artist of that is, right? Is it Warhol? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That makes sense. That tracks. Yeah. I was actually just thinking I need more masks the other day because I have some that are like plain, you know, but I don't really because it is a little bit of an accessory. I don't like wearing the plain ones that much. I I prefer the ones with uh, something, some sort of pattern or something. Yeah. I was actually on Etsy looking at masks and I was like, what am I doing? (laughs) They, they're going to be around for a while, so, like, I get it. Yeah. And, I mean, like, you can only... I mean, you're supposed to wash them, so, like... Yeah. My favorite one doesn't get washed probably as much as it should. In the beginning, yeah. I was really good about washing all the time and, like, cycling through different ones, but now I'm like, oh, I need I've, like, more. lost a couple, too, and I'm like, lost but not forgotten. <laughs> I do love the one your mom... Did she make that rainbow mask, or did she... Find them. No, no, that's actually my friend Julia. Oh, okay. Yeah, my mom made some masks early on too. Actually, I do have a cute like um, it's like not tie dye fabric, but it's it's all green, but it's like 
kind of tie-dye, but just green, if that makes sense. Gradients. Gradients of green. Sure, yeah. That. But yeah, and so she made some early on, uh, but she sent them to, like, friends and family. And yeah. She gave some to somewhere, but I forget, uh, like, a donation. But my friend Julia has just been, like, making them from the beginning. Love that. She just gets fabrics that she likes. She gets the cutest fabrics. And she is so sweet because she put that fabric up and I was like, ooh, how much? And she was like, uh, just buy me a drink whenever we can actually see each other again. Or, you know, some people have given me like three or five bucks or something or whatever. And I was like, how about I do both? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I said, you know, I sent her some money for them. But now I want more from her because I really like the structure of that one. Yeah. Yeah. And she gets really cute fabrics. Like she she had some like D&D ones. Oh, nice. That I was all about with like dice and stuff and like she's had like cat ones and stuff they're always like a little fun like the fabrics that she chooses yeah i like love a fun fabric i went to joanne fabrics recently didn't buy any fabrics because i was overwhelmed by the choices they do have a lot i know it's the name joanne fabrics but i feel like Mm -hmm. i never had reason to venture into that section of the store before now because like i have a sewing Mm -hmm. machine and can like make things oh yeah yeah and like they were in clearance sale and like i don't understand fabric so i just i left i like didn't buy anything i was like these i just saw the possibilities and i'm like i gotta go yeah no they have everything literally because at the beginning of um you know quarantine and everything they were giving away fabrics and stuff to for people to make masks yeah. So like, yeah. And one of my friends, she did like a, you know, curbside pickup for something. I don't know what I don't even know what it was, but and they gave her this weird fabric and she doesn't sew or anything like that. So my roommate ended up getting this fabric from her and it had it had like lipstick and donuts and maybe like cheeseburgers or something on it. It was the weirdest pattern I've ever seen. None of it made sense together. And I was like, I mean, of course, this is the one they're getting rid of. But why did anybody ever make this? Right. Like, I it's very interesting to see the patterns on fabric. I'm like, who bought this? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not clearance. I'm like, I completely understand what happened here with this clearance. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fabric. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about some positive. What like what are some positive things lately? Um... I mean, we complained about it being hot, but I do prefer sunny weather to cold weather. So I've liked that. I've been running. Nice. Leave it to me to wait for like the hottest week ever to really get diligent about it. Uh, (laughs) I mean, hey, if you can make it at this time, you can do it anytime. Well, I think there's actually something satisfying to it because, like, you really get sweaty when it's hot and you're running. And so, I don't know, it just feels more, there's, like, a catharsis effect or something. Like, it's, it feels kind of cathartic to, like, sweat a ton while working out. Oh, totally. So, that's positive. The other positive, my roommate has an air conditioner. Love that. That she got out of the closet and sat up yesterday. And I don't even know what this house would feel like without it so yeah i know i like try to turn my ac on unless it's like dire and it's dire mm-hmm. i've mostly been hanging out in the basement because i like did buy a new video game this week like one of my favorite video games persona 5 like released a new edition mm-hmm. of the game like this original came out like three years ago and this one's just kind of like 
we added more stuff. And like, I lent my copy to a friend and never got it back. So like, I was like, I'll just get this new version and play through this. And I'm happy I did because it's like, they really added a lot to the story. And it's perfect because it's like, I think the first game took me like 96 hours of playthrough. Wow. They're long games. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, they're like half like normal video game where you're like fighting and all that kind of nonsense. And then it's like half social sim. So I'm like, ooh, it's like I'm out and about in the real world because it takes place in like Tokyo. And it's like, ooh, yeah, I'm going to go to the convenience store and get some stuff. And then it's basically just a real sad way to feel like I'm out and about in the world. Fair. But it's fun. And it's cool in my basement. No, that makes sense. Also, my roses. I was looking at the window. My roses are blooming and they're pretty and I love them. Aw, that is sweet. Yeah. I love that. They're very, like, bright pink. I like that. Yeah, you took a photo the other day, didn't you? Yeah. They look pretty. I take, like, one or two every year of just, like, when I feel like it's reached peak bloom. Aw. Yeah. So poetic of you. Yes. <laughs> um, it's the one time a year I'm not these fucking roses, because, like, they're thorny. Yeah. They got some thorns. Yeah. And they are large and in charge, taking over the yard a lot of the time. So when they're pretty, I'm like, okay, this is why I keep you the other, like, 11 months of the year. <laughs> I do need to trim them, though, because it's just coming like a tangle of thorns that just, like, blooms flowers. Like, I think I'm not pruning them nearly enough, because, like, there's just, like, vines, like, stretching, like, 15 feet away from the original plant, just kind of tangled through all the other plants. Yeah, I feel like roses are kind of, like, a high, um, what is it, like... They need a little bit more yeah, care. High maintenance. High ma- I feel like they are a little more high maintenance flower. Oh, totally. But I kind of like the overgrown, like, thorns everywhere kind of look, because it just makes me feel like a Disney villain. Love that. And, like, basically, like, I think that's my goal, is just to become a Disney villain, because I've got the eyebrows for it. I got them done recently, and they're just looking, like, extra just, like, on fleek. Because all the Disney villains, they've got good brows. You can't argue that. They do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brows are very telling. I mean Yeah. You and you've got fantastic brows. You're you're correct. Thank you. I did it like a little differently this time and happy with it. I don't know what kind of Disney character I'd want to be. I feel like I'd want to be like the <laughs> I feel like I'd want to be Gus Gus and Cinderella or something. That's the Disney character not want to be, but that's the Disney character I would be. Fair. I'm, like, trying to think of who I would be. Like, I'd want to be a Disney villain. But maybe, like, Hermes from Hercules, just, like, flitting around. Like, oh, I gotta go do this thing. Gotta go by. <laughs> and just being sassy and flying around. Just, like, t- like because he's just, like, hey, I got a message from this person. They're talking shit. Like. Love that. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Yeah. Oh, actually, I do have one more happy thing. Yeah. But that's it. No, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> I have been growing a lot of plants. And recently, I now have six lemon trees started. Yeah, that I started from seeds from an actual lemon that I actually, well, I didn't eat the lemon, but, you know. Right. Use the lemon juice. Used. And six of them are growing. They're a couple inches. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I'm very excited about that. I'm excited for you. Mm-hmm. I hope they like give you lemons when life when these trees give you lemons. You better make something delicious. Mm-hmm. That's the old saying. Yes, 
Have you ever taken those weird like flavor berry things like those like miracle berries that change your taste buds temporarily? No, I've always wanted to. Because I remember I did them once with Rania, our friend Rania, and the lemons like we, I was just like eating lemons. Probably not good to just like straight up sit there and eat lemons like an orange, but like it just tasted like lemonade. I probably got a lot of vitamin C. I think the only problem with that is your enamel for your teeth. Yeah. I had a family member who actually ate too many, ate too many lemons and like messed up the enamel. I mean, like all the time, though, because she did like lemons like Uh that, Uh, which I think lemons are delicious. The only time I like really have like a whole lemon or lime, though, is like if I'm making a smoothie. Yeah, because I'll throw it in the smoothie. Uh, and that then, makes sense. yeah, because I'm not going to I'm not going to juice it just for a smooth, you know, right. That's more usually lime, though. Lime goes in a lot of smoothie recipes oh, yeah. of mine, which my smoothie recipes are not the tastiest. They're probably super healthy, though, based on the color of your tongue from the last time. <laughs> they look pretty healthy. Oh, yeah. When I had a green tongue from my green smoothie. Yeah. Well, I always make sure I put a lot of vegetables in it. That's smart. I like, no, I'm not getting enough vegetables. I did have Arby's last night and there were fresh vegetables on the sandwich. So I'm going to count that. Ooh. But that's not enough. It sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) No, because that's (laughs) that's one thing about getting older is I'm like almost hyper aware of like my vegetable intake. I'm like, Uh I haven't had my veggies today. Time to make a smoothie because it's, I don't know, it's easier than like, yeah, I don't want to cook vegetables and I like salads, but salads are also like to make a good salad. It takes so much. It, it's a lot of effort, right? You have to have the right things and you have to cut things and maybe I should try making more smoothies and I have a nice blender because mm-hmm. that'd be good to get vegetables. What blender do you have? I got a ninja. Oh, I have a ninja. I love my ninja blender. Same. I do. I mean, there is for smoothies. It would be cool to have something like a Vitamix, the real fancy one, because they are a little stronger. Yeah. The ninja gets it done pretty well and is way cheaper. So. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Do you have the one, too, where it comes with all the other stuff? Like there's a food processor. No, just like the like pitcher. It's like pretty much like basic. It's got high. It's like I got high, low pulse and on like all you need. Oh, OK, OK. Mine has a, the picture like yours, uh-huh. I think. And then it's got also um, a food processor. Oh, nice. Thing I can put on it. And then it's also got like a single smoothie maker mm. where it's just the cup with like a little blade that you put on top. Like the magic bullet kind of thing. Yeah, actually. I think they're the first to do that. Yeah, I had a magic bullet. I want, and I didn't love it. I like remember watching the infomercial a lot oh, yeah. because it would just come on at like one thirty in the morning. I'm like, all right, let's. Why not? Let me see how I can make a muffin out of this blender. I miss infomercials so much. Yeah, because that was like a twenty. That was like a half hour long. Mm-hmm. Here's like all the things you can make. Like, and then you can make queso, and then we're gonna make muffins, and we're gonna make soup, and now we're gonna make like. A seven layer cake. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, with this one little like crappy little thing. I think the kitchen gadget infomercials were always my favorite. Oh, Because yeah. they were always like, look how versatile this giant beast is. Right. What is it? That like new wave oven or something? They also oh, had yeah. 
a pretty good one from what I recall. Yeah. Have you ever gotten an infomercial item? No, I don't think so. I got somebody got it for me, but I think it was like you probably don't remember this item, but there was this thing called I think it was like a Euro sealer. And it was basically like you could reseal like bags with it. Interesting. It melted them together. You can do the same thing with a flat iron, to be quite honest. But like yeah. this is pre flat iron. Like people uh-huh. didn't it they weren't the rage yet. And somebody got me a Euros or was it Euro sealer? That's a weird name. I don't know. But it was just this thing that you like yeah. ran over the top of a bag and I thought it was so cool. <laughs> I <But> mean <laughs> that is nice to not have to find a chip clip because it's one of the things I like always think of like, oh i should get chip claps and never do mm-hmm. well just get a flat iron yeah uh yeah i love that thing it broke it broke though Ah, <laughs> uh, trash yeah 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 uh so anyway yeah <laughs> this is one of our great transitions yeah it's transition it's a transition oh yeah I don't think either of us are drinking anything exciting, so... I mean, I'm having a vodka soda. Oh, yeah. Uh, I am drinking a Good and Gather Cucumber Mint Sparkling Water. Ooh. Because I was dehydrated. Yeah, I I was drinking er- water earlier today. I'm like, ooh, my body needed this. Yeah, I have another like bottle of water somewhere nearby, too. Oh, I freaked out for a minute because I was like, oh, my can is almost gone. Where's my other water? <laughs> I feel like with the hydration, I'm either like on it, like I'm like drinking tons of water, I'm eating right, mm-hmm. or I'm just like I wake up, I drink coffee, I have a small breakfast, and then don't eat until like 8 p.m. Then I eat the world. Yeah, I well, I actually have been purposely like not eating until later in the mm-hmm. day. I'm trying, I'm not doing a great job of it, but I am sort of trying intermittent fasting. I hear good things about it, but it's like you have to like do it to a T to really see the results. Yeah. And that's been the issue. It's I don't I don't I'm not I don't know. Maybe it's not the thing for me to do. But also like I'm hungry in the morning, but I'm not like really hungry in the morning. So I kind of have enjoyed not eating until usually around two. Right. It's been I don't know. Yeah, I like. I try to like, oh, I have to eat at this time. I kind of just like, do I actually want to eat? Yeah. Is the food the option right now? Or am I just eating out of like obligation or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been that way with dinner. Like I don't really eat dinner. I mean, sometimes I do, but not if I don't want it, I don't. Sometimes I'm like, food sounds like too much work. I'll figure something out eventually. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling all too well. Yeah. Cooking for one. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's funny because during quor- like the quarantine quarantine part of everything. Yeah. I was eating dinner because my roommate and I were, you know, cooking and eating dinner together and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, this is different. I think at the beginning it was like cooler out, too. So it wasn't like cooking was like, oh, I don't want to heat the house up. And then also just like, I don't know. It's definitely, I feel like it's easier to cook when it's not this hot. Because when it's this hot out, it's like, I'm not really that hungry because it's hot. Mm -hmm. I'm also just like, no, I'm not putting much effort because it's hot. Yeah, I think that's why I've gotten, my smoothie game is, as mentioned, has uh, had an upswing lately. Just because 
it is hot and that actually kind of sounds good and yeah. i'm not like super hungry but that's like a little you know yeah a little something yeah yeah so yeah like i said trans we like we said earlier transition yep um it's a transition this transition. is our transition we're transition. all aboard oh yeah <laughs> so i've got a story for you you ready for it yay are you ready you specifically uh hmm yeah yes okay okay so have you heard of the burwood wall no okay so it was also known as detroit's wailing wall or detroit's berlin wall and it was a wall built for three city bucks starting oh wait what is it called though burwood Burwood, yeah, it's on Burwood Street. So okay, okay, it's a real stretch for the name. I got confused because you said Berlin. Then like the, people call it like Detroit's Berlin Wall, and that's fair. But I was like, did he say Berlin earlier? And I'm like, nope, I've never heard of that. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, the Burwood Wall okay, is the one okay. in Detroit. Okay. Uh, like I said, it was a six feet tall, foot thick, half a mile long wall, starting at eight mile. And like following along, Pem- it was like starting at eight mile to Pembroke, following along Burwood Street. Okay. With like two breaks for car traffic at Chippewa and Norfolk. So like, quick question. Yeah. Does it have like a bunch of murals on it now? Like it paintings? does now. It does. <gasps> I now. drove by that like a couple months ago, and I was like, "What is this? I've never seen this. This is so cool." It's been getting a lot of attention lately, and um. It is a colorful mural thing now, but its original purpose was much less fun and noble because uh, basically it was put up between a predominantly black neighborhood so they could build a white neighborhood on the other side of it. Gross. Yep. Ugh. Yeah. Like, how does that meeting even go? You know what I mean? Like, people had to actually, like, meet and plan that. Oh, yeah. I got so f- fucked up. Girl, I got you. Okay. I got you. I got you all the deets, the receipts. Okay. Uh, I will say that this uh, was based off... I did a lot of this research off a book. Mm-hmm. I'll grab it and show it at the end of the episode and cite it too, but... Okay. Actually, I'm going to grab it now real quick. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> Just so I can reference it if I need to. Yeah, that's a good idea. It was right behind me. Nice convenient so back to the story Mm -hmm. so we're going to talk about the community where the wall was built it's known as like the west eight mile community so kind of actually over by me but on eight mile kind of west of course west of woodward so okay so we're going to jump back to the great migration which was happening between like and like it started having the early 1900s and Basically, between 1910 and 1950, many people were moving into the city, and a good portion of these people were African-Americans trying to escape the Jim Crow laws in the South and just the economic opportunity available at the time with all the manufacturing work. Mm -hmm. And Detroit at this time had like a reputation because it was like the last stop of the Underground Railroad for a lot of people and just like had a reputation for being like, oh, okay, not a terrible city. Mm -hmm. Also, I learned that Detroit was nicknamed Midnight because it was like the last stop, I think. Oh, but I thought it was kind of fun. Yeah. So the book starts by telling... Oh, sorry. Let me mention that book. It's called Detroit's Burwood Wall, Hatred and Healing in the West Eight Mile Community by Gerald Van Dusen. Mm-hmm. So 
it's kind of like profiled like a couple families moving to the city in 1918 and most were working class African-Americans and uh, like really there was like one choice for them to live at the time, which was like the lower East side, like it's like the black bottom area. And I think paradise Valley was the other neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So that was like the one choice, but there was also people started noticing there was another option eight miles North of the city center. There was unincorporated land. So it wasn't annexed by the city yet. And the book described it as a sparsely populated community with few finished homes, some tar papered houses, tents, farms, and lean to dwellings scattered among trees, muddy roads, ditches, and paths. There were a few stores and restaurants on both sides of eight mile, but not much else. And it's kind of interesting to think about eight mile like that with like woods and or like trees and farms and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, everything had that at some point, but still that. Like- because it doesn't seem like that long ago, like 1918. Yeah. Like barely 100 years ago. Yeah. And so like also this time, the city was just growing really quickly, like just some stats. In 1806, the city had 770 residents on 0.33 square miles. Oh my gosh. And in just over 100 years, in 1918, the numbers were nearly 1 million people on 77.31 square miles. So very large population jump. And and landmass. Yeah. And before World War One, uh, the city had a very small African-American population, about 5,000, which was about less than 1% of the population. And it was easier then for these families to find housing among the ethnic neighborhoods in the city. Mm-hmm. So the Great Migration only continued, and the competition for good jobs and housing only increased. By 1920, that 5,000 had grown to 40,000. And the white ethnic neighborhoods were becoming more popular with white Southerners who were not keen on welcoming the black population into their neighborhoods. What what year are we in? 1920. I'm kind of jumping a little. I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. It's kind of just early 1900s, but I'm just kind of giving stats. No, no, it's just interesting because um, the Ossian Sweet House, I think that was the late 20s. If I, yeah. but I, I can't remember the exact year of it. But that I mean, that was the yeah. whole thing that happened, you know, there, too. So. Like, it's all kind of interconnected, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like some of the things in the Austin Sweet case might come up here, but... Mm -hmm. Why the African-Americans wanted to leave the South was the plantation economy of the South was, like, just barely getting by. That's, like, the only option was just, like, you can barely get by Mm -hmm. working plantation jobs. And there was also voter suppression in the form of poll taxes and literacy tests, so they weren't being allowed to vote. Basically, like, no, like, law, not, like, legally barred, but just kind of, like... Still kept from voting? Yeah. Yeah. We don't have any of those issues today. Right. That's, like, I know we were talking a little bit before, but, like, watching Mrs. America. hmm Like, just seeing the parallels happening today. Like, I was noticing that a lot, too, when I was doing this story, especially just because of, like, the amount of systematic oppression that was happening at the time... Mm-hmm. It's still happening today, just in different ways. Is just kind of like, how have we not gotten farther? Right. Basically, like how 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 things not progressed in the way they should, especially with Melania Trump's "Be Best" campaign. Be best. I don't know that one. Like right when like Trump got elected, she was like, "Don't bully, be best," mm-hmm. and that was about all the movement was. It's like you really. Really stepped it up. Two words. Awesome. It's like, maybe before you try and start getting the country to stop bullying, talk to your husband. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, back to the reasons. Um, 
the education system in the South was separate but equal, so which led to overcrowded classrooms, lack of supplies, and underpaid and overworked teachers. Mm-hmm. Again, something we don't experience at all today. Mm. You know, overcrowded classrooms. No. Teachers get paid too much, and we should double down on the student. No. Yeah. yeah. Education. And on top of this was like the obvious reason, the Jim Crow laws, white supremacy groups like the KKK that use violence and destruction for intimidation and control. Mm. So there was a lot of reasons pushing African-American people to the north. There were still difficulties once they moved up here. Mm-hmm. Like, again, like due to segregation, the African-Americans were forced into the older, more dilapid- dilapidated parts of the city. And because they were putting all of them there, like it was hard to find housing that wasn't substandard or need of major repairs or both. Mm-hmm. And like because the demand for housing was so great, shitty landlords knew they could just re- ignore these requests, yeah, and just still have renters. Mm. Uh, and also, like city services in these areas were spotty at best, so like garbage collection, housing inspections, just not up to par with the rest of the city. Not cool. Yeah. So like this led to overcrowding in these areas, which uh, meant that they were disproportionately harder hit by epidemics and diseases like tuberculosis, the flu, and scarlet fever. Mm. Again, pandemics. What will we know about that in 2020? (laughs) But for those who managed to get decent housing, they could face things like rent hikes. Like one example from the book was a landlord raised rent $10 a month, which adjusted for inflation was about $120 a month. (gasps) And this was after the rent being raised the month previously. So (gasps) just kind of slowly hiking up those rents and... Another option was for high interest land contracts, which offered fixed rates, but had fine details in the contract, like even like one missed payment, just like evicted right away or repossession. Oh, so there really just like weren't really any good options for like owning or renting, basically. And that's like when people started to kind of leave the city and head towards the eight mile area. Mm-hmm. To just escape the overcrowding of the east side and the overpriced substandard housing. Uh, this land was not yet annexed into the city, which meant there was no municipal water, uh, meaning people would have to find their own water sources. Wow. The family that the book followed in the intro was saying that they would have to walk about a quarter mile for water. Wow. So, but people may do, and the area like wasn't too far from the inner urban streetcar system, so people living in the area could still catch the streetcar to work. Oh, I mean, that's one positive. <laughs> yeah. There had to be one. Yeah. But at this time, there weren't necessarily houses, though, because professional services were expensive, so people would do it themselves. Also, like, often just, like, building a main floor with poles in each corner and then using whatever they could for walls. Uh, some people would build shacks when they could buy lumber or use scraps. Uh, but because they were effectively integrate or effectively blocked from integrating with the city's white majority, they learned to be self-sufficient on their own, building their own communities while still close enough to the city for employment. Uh-huh. So they did things like subsistence farming, gardening, and raising small livestock like chickens and hogs and goats. And unpurchased lots were often turned into community gardens. So basically they were like, keeping us out of the city, it's shitty. We'll make our own option. We'll go to this like land that nobody's using, and we'll make it usable. Mm-hmm. So, kudos to them. Yeah, it's like sounded like they were actually like, building like really good communities, and like, like I'm gonna say this book was very detailed, so I can't go into all of it, obviously. But I really recommend this book because it really just highlights a lot of the inequalities in Detroit, and again, I'll kind of get into this at the end too, just like kind of the things that 
I learned and my perceptions that were changed along the way. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't mind borrowing it, actually. Yeah. Oh, for sure. This is uh, one of the books that Jen got me for Christmas. It was this one and the oh. Wicked Women of Detroit. Yeah. So uh, both good books. I think you have the Wicked Women one, though, or at least have read it. I actually don't. Oh, OK. I have I have another Wicked one and it's. Uh-huh. It's just called Wicked Detroit. It's the same people, though. So the cover looks very similar. It's different pictures, but it's the same stylistic. So when I saw yours, I was like, oh, yeah, I have that. And then I picked mine up like a week later and I was like, oh, mine's not that. Yeah. Yeah. Yours is. I like yours better because it's focused on the women's. Yeah. And uh, mine is more just about like, uh, I mean, there's a lot of like purple gang and stuff like that. And I did actually use it when uh for that episode too but it had been a while so i kind of forgot i used that book (laughs) yeah yeah anyway (laughs) yeah so in 1926 this part of this like this part of the city would be annexed so like things like water and electricity community schools would come soon after uh the schools was the part that took the longest just because since the city was growing so rapidly like the system was already under major strain to like keep up with the increased enrollment Mm mm-hmm uh, and one other positive thing about this area is like this area would become a haven for black owned businesses containing many of the less than 500 black owned businesses the state had in 1929. Oh. So they would take a blow in the late 30s or in the 30s, however, because um, the widening of Eight Mile kind of took out some of the businesses. Oh. And the Great Depression obviously hit Detroit hard because. Yeah. It did. <laughs> I mean, it hit everywhere hard. Yeah, it hit everywhere hard. Uh, but it like it hit Detroit so hard that the rest of the country had a phrase: when the country catches a cold, Detroit catches pneumonia. <gasps> so savage. Oh, yeah, but yeah, not totally inaccurate. Still, yeah, but this was especially true of the West Eight Kyle community because many would end up losing their homes at this time. Oh, yeah. So in 1933, FDR kind of brought on his New Deal, which Mm -hmm. was over, like, at a national level was good, but Mm -hmm. the way it was executed locally was not always great. Mm -hmm. So the Homeowners Loan Corporation was formed in 1935 with the mission to provide new mortgages or on an emergency basis to people at risk of losing their homes. And the Federal Housing Administration was shortly created after that with a similar mission to make private homeownership more attainable. This was all fine and well for the white working class Detroiters, but it left the black working class Detroiters out in the cold. Mm. And again, this was because local government, which was made of mo- made of white politicians, had final say where the money met, where the money went, what it was used for, and like where the products could be done. Yeah, of course. And if that wasn't enough, the homeowners loan corporation started doing this thing uh, called city surveys where they would uh, assess the risk of long-term real estate investment in industries and give them a rating. Oh. So in this program, Detroit neighborhoods were being graded on an A to D scale. A, which was denoted by the color green, which meant the best neighborhoods. B was blue and meant still desirable. C was yellow and meant declining. And D was red, which meant hazardous. Hazardous? I bet you can't imagine what rating this neighborhood ended up getting. Yeah. Yeah. So this is basically redlining before redlining was a thing. Like basically meaning if you lived in a D or red neighborhood, 
which of course were mostly predominantly black neighborhoods, you weren't able to get a loan because it was a bad investment. And so just, yeah. So basically just like a, just like a full cycle of just like, okay, well you can't get money to buy or improve your house. So your house Mm -hmm. falls into disrepair. So your neighborhood ranking goes down even more and then you can't get Mm -hmm. a loan to fix anything. So just, yeah, it's just that cyclical thing of like making it worse and worse and worse. If there's no break in the cycle, how do you expect people to ever get out of it? Yeah, you're not giving people any opportunities whatsoever. You're actually well taking opportunities away. Yeah. From very targeted groups of people. And like basically this was like done to sy- systematically preserve racial homogene- homogeneity amongst the neighborhoods. Uh and like neighborhoods would go as far as like if by chance like a black family was able to save up the money to move into a white neighborhood, it would change the rating of the neighborhood, bringing everyone's property values down, just causing resentment and tension between the family that had just moved in and the surrounding white neighborhood. And neighborhoods would even go as far sometimes as pooling money to buy houses that were for sale so they could choose who moved in. So like the neighborhood would be like, okay, everyone chip in, we'll buy the house and then we'll sell it to who we want to sell it instead of. So that way the people that were selling the house could move out. <laughs> oh, like, what? just the level of bullshit people went through. Uh, and, like, yeah. Why? So, some more stats. Between 1930 and 1950, the Federal Housing Administration financed three out of five home purchases, but less than 2% of those loans went to non-white buyers. And wow. Again, like, this... Obviously, it was a huge detriment to black neighborhoods. Like I said, it was too expensive to renovate, purchase, or rent homes, which only lowered the living standards. And this only, like, made, like, the white neighborhoods be like, well, oh, like, look at the black neighborhoods. They're all run down and shitty. Like, if they move into our neighborhoods, they'll do that without realizing that the system's just, like... Doing that. Well, the the system was doing that. At every turn. Yeah, it wasn't the people in those areas, you know, the the residents of those areas. Right, they were doing the best they could. Yeah, yeah. it's people outside of those areas controlling them essentially. Right, that, like purposely making them run down. That's just, mm. yeah. Mm. Mm. So we're gonna jump now to 1941 when the Burwood Wall was constructed. Okay. So, well, actually 1940. So 1940, a real estate developer wanted to build the area west of Burwood Street. Which was like just west of this community. Uh, but the FHA denied the request because it would border the West Eight Mile neighborhood, which was seen as, quote, hazardous, as per the rating of the HOLC. And the FHA, Fe- uh, Federal Housing Administration, did not want to insure bank loans on properties in this new development because they were thought that racially mixed areas were bound to have confrontation and violence, which would affect surround- like the soundness of the investments. Mm-hmm. So... This real estate developer was not deterred, though. He's like, so next year, he's like, I'm going to apply again. And this time, in my proposal, I'm going to add a six-foot-tall wall that's a foot thick and made of concrete just between the neighborhoods to protect the neighborhood that he was going to build. <laughs> Why are dumbasses always turning to walls? Yeah. I Like, like what is this fascination with a wall? Like, what? I don't, I don't right. get that on so many levels. Right. I mean, <laughs> walls. It's, they're for housing. Right. You put walls in a house. That's the only place they need to be. Right. 
So the FHA was like, oh, yeah, this is a compromise. This is great. We approved. Mm. So and the contractors were contractors and realtors were able to sell these homes to white home buyers by telling that the wall would protect them. So I can't. The residents of the neighborhood formed a group called the Carver Progressive Club and registered with the state in 1940 to try and stop the wall from happening. And the club set up a committee to determine the wall's purpose and try and convince the developer not to build it. And at one of their meetings, the committee reported that, quote, We talked to the man who was head of the development company, and he said the wall was on his property and there wasn't anything we could do about it. He further said that he was forced to shut off the view of our dilapidated houses to increase the chance of selling those homes on Mendota. Those homes are FHA approved, too. So basically saying, like, my property, I'm building a wall, it's your fault, your houses look like shit, and these houses that I'm building are FHA approved. I, so, I can't. Just, yeah. And so the wall was built in August of 1941, and it just kind of proved that the FHA didn't give any fucks about racial integration. Mm-hmm. And just like what was really like hurtful this wall in the book they talked about it basically just like gave a physical form to segregation and the hurdles basically just like they've just been systematically just like housing shit Mm -hmm. just like they couldn't do anything and now basically like in case it wasn't enough we're gonna give you a physical reminder you can see every day of the barrier between you and the white neighborhood you and like society like white society Mm-hmm. so and like this is kind of like they pointed out that this was in the north this was detroit like yeah that city that was underground railroad the people yeah and it kind of just like you know it like like not saying that i didn't know that like race like obviously racism is a problem in the city but just kind of like it's kind of a bummer because you think like oh detroit we're in the north we're part of the underground railroad that like Things could have been that bad there and saying like, oh, no, they were like just as bad, if not worse than other places in the country. So it sounds like the big difference is. Other parts of the country, people are just being more like forthcoming. Yeah. The racism, whereas like here they were trying to like, I mean, build a wall between it. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. I mean, both. Both are just terrible <laughs> yeah. ways to do it. So, but. <sighs> yeah. A similar situation actually happened again in 1953 when Harry Slatkin, a real estate developer, wanted to build a new development close to the West 8 Mile community. And he proposed extending the wall perpendicularly along Pembroke, mm-hmm. which like the wall kind of went from 8 Mile to Pembroke along uh, or Pembroke along Burwood Avenue, so he wanted to, along Pembroke, extend it a mile and a half. His permit was rejected, but that didn't stop him. He instead decided to build a a six-foot-high solid wood fence, six blocks in length. And again, the Carver Progressive Club would try and stop it from going up, and on a phone call trying to schedule a meeting to talk with Slatkin, he reportedly said the following, East is east, and west is west, and never the twain shall meet. At least not in our day. I see no reason or purpose in meeting with your committee. He wouldn't even talk to them? No. Ugh. So the fence did come down eventually because it just deteriorated because wood. Mm-hmm. So it just like got just deteriorated to the point where it had to be removed. The wall is still there today. 
and it's much less of a barrier since pretty much since the 70s both sides of the wall have been predominantly black Mm -hmm. and in 2006 a portion of the wall was converted into a mural to remember the history of the wall but also look towards a more hopeful tomorrow Mm -hmm. and like among some of the images on the wall were civil rights icons like rosa park and harriet tubman Mm -hmm. and actually last year senator elizabeth warren uh held an event for her campaign proposal there like with the wall behind her oh and it's actually started to become something of a tourist site these days too where I read in a Detroit News article that a resident of the area, Teresa Moon, said that she has met people from France, Germany, Australia, and Italy, as well as high school students on field trips, all coming to see the wall. Wow. So, like I said, it's been gaining a lot of attention lately, and this book was only released last year, like, based on research and kind of just stuff done, Mm -hmm. like, talking to residents community. Again, I will say the name of the book one more time just because I think it's a great read. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It opened my eyes to a lot of things. I think it's an important read hap- for what's happening right now. And it's Detroit's Burwood Wall, Hatred and Healing in the West Eight Mile Community by Gerald Van Dusen. And just to cite my sources, obviously the book, uh, the Detroit News and also Wikipedia. Awesome. Yeah. And like I said, the, the book was very detailed. It went into a lot of specifics of just like talking about other barriers in the city um to different facets like healthcare, school, housing, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also talks a lot about Royal Oak Township. Oh. And how that came to be and basically how similar things happened there there just wasn't a wall but like things with like temporary war housing and just not caring. Yeah. Um but yeah. So Unfortunately, not a good story, but I think it's an important one. I'm glad that more of it's coming to light now and someone's documenting it because in the Detroit News article, even people who lived in the neighborhood didn't know the history of the wall. They kind of just oh, like, wow. they like, they knew obviously that it was like the people would be like, oh, it's for segregation between mm-hmm. the white and the black people were like, OK, but like didn't realize the extent of it. And like, mm-hmm. it's kind of this book puts into perspective, like what it actually meant. Like it wasn't just a wall. Mm hmm. It was just like the wall was like just the biggest insult to injury. Yeah, no, that that isn't a incredibly interesting. And I I know you said it wasn't like, you know, a happy story, but obviously a lot of stories aren't. Yeah, uh, but it is important to talk about. I am also. Again, super because I I drove by that. I don't even know when or where I was like lost. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I don't know where I was going. Um, and I because I remember seeing those murals and being like, what is this? This is interesting. This is cool. How I haven't, you know, I never heard of it. Never even thinking that it, it's weird to have a wall. You know what I mean? Like, it didn't even cross my mind. So I'm glad that you educated me on that. Yeah. And like. It just too, and like there is some good in the book. It kind of like talked about how they built really strong communities and they just like even like different religious denominations within the neighborhood, they like would like borrow a school for religious services and kind of like, they would take turns like every other week would be a different like denomination, but Mm -hmm. making sure that everyone felt welcomed. So like they kind of started worshiping together and they joined choirs thing with like schools and stuff. So they kind of like, again, like they took an area that nobody knew about or wanted and just like made a spot for themselves. That is fantastic. Yeah. I also, 
I, I, I know that it has obviously like a negative history to it, but I do like that it, it was given a new life, I guess, you know, with, yeah. with the addition of murals and, you know, commemorating certain right. individuals and stuff. So, you know. Taking something ugly and giving it a positive message looking towards the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially in, you know, honoring historical figures you know what i mean like um yeah. that deserve to be honored <laughs> yeah yeah rather than ones that don't so you know that that's a i want to say happy ending but like that doesn't feel right so i'm not going to but that's it's it's a hopeful nice. ending yeah I guess. yeah yeah now i want to drive past it again <laughs> yeah thank you for doing that though no problem and i i hope I did it justice. Like I, like I said, it was like very detailed. So I had to like shoot, like kind of like yeah. figure oh, out how yeah. to pare it down for an episode side. That's why I'm like very much read the book, read the book, read the book because it says it so much better than I could ever mm-hmm. could. I love a good book resource, but there is more information obviously in a book than reading, you know, a few articles online and a Wikipedia page. So like, yeah, sometimes it is hard because books go, that, that's the point of a book is to go further into detail. So no, I think you did a good job of um, picking a good variety of facts, but also important ones. Yeah. Yeah. Nicely done. Thank you. Yeah. It's a transition. It's yeah. a transition. Time to transition into Moving the next on. part. <laughs> next stop, two truths and a lie. <gasps> beep, beep. <laughs> uh do you want do you want yeah what what's what's my topic today (laughs) category is barbecue Ooh. okay okay um because we have like a girl we've been grilling a lot and i mean none of it's been barbecue so but it's also fourth of we're we're recording on july 3rd so fourth of july is tomorrow yeah uh you know socially distanced fourth of july hopefully for everybody uh i'm a little nervous to be honest but anyway yeah barbecuing is a big part of that uh i did the facts but just finding facts about grilling didn't go so well so i did go barbecue specific okay so fact number one the word for all this tastiness most likely came from mexico as it is derived from the word barbacoa Prepared, which is prepared with parts from the head of cattle, such as cheeks. In northern Mexico, it also sometimes is made from beef head, but more often is prepared from goat meat. Okay. Fact number two. Archaeologists discovered that the diet of whoever built Stonehenge involved copious amounts of barbecue. It was traces of pork and beef um, that were unearthed nearby, presumably from post-virgin sacrificing feasts. I didn't copy and paste that. (laughs) And three. Long before anyone pulled up and asked for a sausage egg McMuffin, McDonald's was originally a barbecue drive-in called McDonald's Barbecue. Ooh. What'll it be? What'll it be? Which is the I'm going to go with the McDonald's one because I feel like it was just always McDonald's hamburgers. Mm Mm-mm. It's true? That one is true. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Then I'm going to say B. Or second one. That one is also true. 
Damn. Okay, so it was barbacoa. Is barbacoa pork? Um, no, it is actually that part was true. It's just that the word used for all this tastiness most likely comes from the Caribbean island natives, either via oh. the Taino people of the Caribbean or the uh-huh. I don't to to or the people of Southern Florida. <laughs> Because I, okay. I don't know how to pronounce that. I don't want to butcher that. Uh, T-I-M-U-C-U-A. Timuc- okay. Timucu- I don't want to. I'm going to. Yeah. Their sure. word was barbecue. So it was B-A-R-A-B-I-C-U. Okay. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm proud of myself. Yeah. Because I was That's like, barbacoa. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Yay me. No. Yeah. Uh, all that came from uh, Thrillist, which is like a 50 barbecue facts you didn't know. Uh, Love a Thrillist. Article. Yeah. They, they good listicles. Love a good yeah. listicle. So um, there was a lot of other things on there, too, that were interesting. Some of it wasn't interesting. A lot of it was about like barbecues tied to like politics. I sometimes listicles that are like ten facts you'll never believe. Barbecue usually involves meat. It's like duh, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me something no, I this don't one, know. This one was like this president had barbecue at this thing, or you know, like a lot of yeah. like very presidential. Uh, it was weird. One of them was like President Obama didn't have to wait in line at this one place, <laughs> or something mm-hmm. like that. I was like. <laughs> Cool. Okay, that's neat. Yeah. Well done. One place. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. That pretty much wraps us then, right? We're wrapped. Wrapped. Yes. <laughs> so if you want to get at us, send us anything you want to tell us or questions, concerns, comments, mm-hmm. we'll be happy to take them. Pronunciations. Exactly. <laughs> Anything you feel the need to tell us about, you can tell us on our social media accounts. Uh, Facebook, Detroit Strange. Twitter and Instagram, at Detroit Strange. And our email address, DetroitStrange at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And please subscribe. Rate, review if you have a moment. It's fun. All yeah. the cool kids are doing it. Totally. So you should, too, because you're cool. <laughs> yeah. And... You can check out our threadless shop too, DetroitStrange.threadless.com. We got tank tops for this sweltering summer heat. Mm-hmm. And water bottles so you can stay hydrated. Yeah. I should buy one for myself because I need it. Yeah. Hydration is important. I'm quite thirsty. Yeah, yeah. In are. many ways. Yeah. <laughs> well, until, until next time. Next time. Stay, stay strange. strange. <laughs> This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was created by Sax and Violence.